Hi everyone and welcome to the August edition of the DistilleryTours.Scot podcast, giving you that wee bit of extra insight from Scotland's whisky distilleries. My name's Nikki Simpson and in this episode I spoke to Lauren Mustard, Dufftown Distilleries and VIP Ambassador for the Balvenie and Glenfiddich Distilleries of William Grant & Sons. Lauren tells us about the way Glenfiddich is experimenting with her whisky, the things she loves about both distilleries, and a charming denial of any family connection to the whisky industry, closely followed by several connections. She also tells us a story behind her favourite dram, the never-to-be-repeated Snow Phoenix. If you'd like to find out more about the Glenfiddich distillery and its whisky, check out distillerytours.scot and click on the Book Now button on the Glenfiddich listing. We hope you enjoy it. Start your whisky journey with Caledonian McBrain, proud sponsors of Distillery and Whisky News podcasts. Visit calmac.co.uk for further information. So today I'm here with Lauren Mustard, Dufftown Distilleries and VIP Ambassador for William Grant & Sons. Hi Lauren, how are you doing? Hi Nikki, I'm really well, thank you. How are you? Not too bad, not too bad. It's Friday. That's always a bonus, huh? Absolutely. Um, and the oh. sun is shining. Yes. Okay, cool. Well, tell us a bit about yourself and how you came to a career in whisky. I um, grew up just outside Elgin, so in the Speyside region, Murray Speyside. And I actually started working as a tour guide with William Grant and Sons back in 2008. It wasn't a career path that I thought, uh, I guess, a route that I thought I would go down. But a family friend worked for the company and he said, oh, you know, have you ever thought about tour guiding in the summer months? And this was before I started university. So I said, oh, that sounds actually brilliant. You know, you get to talk to people all day and, and learn a little bit whilst you're whilst you're doing it. So I'd actually never stepped foot inside a distillery uh, before I went for my interview. And I was actually too young to start guiding in the summer of 2008 um, straight away. So I worked in the malt barn restaurant um, at the Glenfiddich Distillery for maybe a few weeks maybe just a month and then when I turned 18 I started guiding and in all honesty I never looked back um I you know my first summer there it was just so brilliant interacting with so many different people every day working in a really fun team um there's a real variety of ages and experience and knowledge and my first summer was yep more or less a summer job and then as I went back summer after summer, I did several seasons um, at Glenfiddich, I became more and more passionate about it. And it, yeah, my summer job became a passion and then a career path for me. Um, so once I, when I graduated university, I actually went traveling for a little while, but when I came back, I thought I really want to work in the whiskey industry. And actually I took a, an ambassador around on tour at Glenfiddich and I said to him, what's, what's an ambassador? What do you do for, for Glenfiddich? And when he told me, I thought that is what I would like to do. So when I came back from traveling, um, I actually did another um, couple of months up at Glenfiddich, um, uh, did a little bit at McAllen as well. And I applied for the Shivers Brothers uh, International Brand Ambassador Graduate Programme. So that took me then kind of into my professional career. Cool. What was it you studied at university? I did languages, French and Spanish. So lots of people are like, well, how, how did you end up then in whiskey? But actually working as a tour guide, um, it really helped my languages because in summer it gave me an opportunity to use them um, and 
kind of learn a little bit more and become a bit more confident with them. So I did the tours um, in French and a little bit in Spanish as well. My year abroad was in France, so I felt a bit more comfortable um, hosting them in, in French. Yeah, much easier to speak it when you've been living there for a while, huh? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, so what does your role involve now then for William Grant? Which which distilleries are you working with? I'm working with Glenfiddich and Bovenny. So as um, you said at the beginning, Dufton Distilleries and VIP Ambassador. So I'm looking after the teams at the visitor centres, uh, both distilleries, and that's the that's the day-to-day there and occasionally hosting as well, which is definitely the fun part of the job. Um, there's a lot of other administrative tasks and organising and planning that goes on behind the scenes. But when I have the opportunity to either host people in person, um, which has happened more recently, or do something virtually, that's definitely the highlight of, of the job. What does that look like then when you say you're hosting people? Is it that just like bringing in VIPs and then showing them dis- the distillery yeah. kind of ins and outs or...? Yeah, it can. Yeah. Well, for example, I think it was last week um, we had a message from um, someone that works in the William Grant and Sons, um, kind of more in the luxury prestige side. And she said, oh, there's um, this chap that's up in the area. Are you able to look after him? And the afternoon I was free. So uh, I took him around on a tour and did a tasting. Um, so, yeah, it's it's so much fun because you get to meet new people all the time. And he was very interesting. He actually has his own um, rum company he's an actor he's an artist so yeah you get you kind of you get involved with so many different people from all around the all around the world do you think if if you could afford to do you think you would go back to doing tours again full-time I often think that if I could work for free then I would you know and yeah. do you think that you would go back to that visitor center role again like to have that opportunity to you know spend time mm-hmm. with people and so on if you could Yes, I think when I was working as a tour guide, I absolutely loved that. It was a lot of fun. I think I enjoy the challenges though. Um, So for example, at the moment, we're looking at how we can improve the visitor experiences at Glenfiddich and Bilveni. So I like being involved in that side of things. If I could take away the um, more mundane tasks, but everybody has to do them, like rotas and timesheets and <laughs> all that kind of thing. Um, however, I suppose in a way it kind of keeps your, maybe the mathematical uh, side of my brain functioning, which was never my strong point at school and not something I ever really enjoyed. But when I have to do it, then I suppose it, maybe it has its benefits. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, somewhere. Yeah, when I was uh, then working as a uh, ambassador for Chivas, that was what I was doing the majority of the time. Um, so I, I did thoroughly enjoy it. I think having a little bit of downtime and being able to um, not be customer facing all the time is also good because it makes you appreciate it more. I think you can, when I was living down in London, there was quite a lot of uh, you know events in the evenings and you can really burn yourself out if you're not careful. Um, so yeah, I think maybe this is the best of both worlds. It's a good, actually quite a good balance. Thank you. Uh, what's your favourite part of the Balvenie distillery? So at Balvenie, we are very lucky as we have our own maltings. Um, and this is definitely a highlight of the experience of coming to Balvenie. So the maltings that we have were built back in 1929. The original maltings were replaced with the traditional malting floor that we still use today. And it's special because it's quite rare, unique, not many other distilleries um, are able to malt their own barley. Usually it's down to space, resource, 
Um, so around 10 to 15% of um, our malted barley comes directly from Bilveni. So it's fantastic because people can see the process really from the very beginning um, when they come here, we actually grow a little bit of our own barley as well. Um, so I think that makes it, it's very different and it's a real, I feel so proud um, now that I'm, I'm back kind of working for William Grants and spending a bit more time at Bilveni, although not as much time as I want quite yet, but hopefully as restrictions ease and people are coming back here a little bit more um, and production opens up fully, um, it's it's the why factor when people walk in. And even for me as well, it's it's such a novelty. Um, I'm sure maybe a few years down the line, I, I'll maybe, I maybe won't be saying it's such a novelty, but I, I, I struggle to think that that feeling will ever go away. And um, it's just something that you really don't see um, very much. Seeing the whole end-to-end -end process. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and also it's just, it's cool being able to see like all of the barley being piled up there waiting to go to be steeped in the water and then it's dropped down onto the floor and then you can go up into the kiln where the barley's dried out so it's um and seeing like all the the anthracite burning and we also have a separate kiln for peat and also for experiments so it also allows us to be a bit experimental with um with what we're producing which is you know it's always interesting and what about the Glenfiddich distillery? Can you tell us more about the parts that the public wouldn't normally see? Yes, so I think Warehouse 8, as part of um, some of the tours uh, beforehand, you were able to visit Warehouse 8, and this is something that we absolutely will reintroduce again. Um, but it's not, it's not readily available on every tour. But when you go into, actually before you go into Warehouse 8, you're walking over... Um, kind of fly over between the Robidoux Centre and warehousing and when you're walking along that pathway if the door to warehouse 8 is open it's the most incredible smell you can just smell whiskey um so maturing in all these different ways different sizes of casks we've got whiskey marrying in the um, marrying tons for 18 year old in there and we have the Solera vat this is what warehouse 8 is most known for or most famous for um, so this is where our Glenfiddich 15 year old is, is created after the maturation process, um, which takes place in three different cast types, is then put into this big vat, which holds 38,000 litres in total. And since this um, method was introduced in 1998, it's never been empty. It's always at least half full. Um, so before the whiskey goes in there, the casks are disgorged into what I call the whiskey river. I'm actually not sure what the technical term is for that. Um, so the whiskey filters, uh, comes out of the cask, filters through into um, the Solera vat. So if the casks are being emptied, it smells incredible, but even just warehouse eight alone, um, it's just fantastic. And, and again, it's that why factor when you take people in there, you know, they're kind of, you can see them scanning the warehouse, trying to take it all in and, it's almost a little bit overwhelming in a way because there are there is just so much going on in there um so yeah i would say for glenfiddich it's for me it's an absolute highlight and i think um i think many people would echo that um and most recently our our new stillhouse um the expansion which is a phenomenon it's absolutely beautiful but i think in terms of sensory and just something you you don't really expect to maybe see or experience i would say warehouse eight Thank you. You mentioned a whiskey river there. That sounds interesting. <laughs> Tell me more about that amazing feat of nature. 
Yeah, it's it's just the, the guys in the warehouse will empty the casks out into there to then go on to wherever they're meant to go. So usually into um into the Solera vat for warehouse eight. So we'll empty um sherry casks, bourbon casks, um, whether that's sherry bucks or bourbon barrels or hogsheads and also whiskey that's been sat in brand new American oak um, as well for about 14 weeks. So it's all minimum matured 15 years for the Solera vat. So the smells, I mean, also obviously when it comes to then tasting it, um, which we did used to do directly from the Solera vat pre-COVID times, um, but we have now bottled it directly from the vat before it's actually um, to create the 15, we will add some Robbie Dew spring water to take it down to bottle strength, bottling strength. Um, but we also take it directly from the Solera vat, so it's cask strength. So you can taste it as if you were just scooping your glass into the Solera vat, which of course we don't do and we haven't ever done before, but it's it's like that. <laughs> so, sorry, just, um, uh, you said that the Solera vat is, has never been emptied. Mm -hmm. So in my perhaps uneducated <laughs> mind, I had pictured it as you put the whiskey in the casks, you let it mature for however many years, then you open a little tap on the top of the whiskey and you pour it into a bottle and, <laughs> and then you then you ship it off to be to be sold. Um clearly that's not what happens. Um so if you're if you're if you're pouring the sherry cask and the bourbon cask and so on into this whiskey river that's then taken the, to the Solera vat, mm -hmm. does that mean you've got like a whole mix of whiskies all going to a vat that already has whiskey in it? How does that exactly. work? How do you do that with how do you get the right taste for that? <laughs> yeah, well that is the that's the job and the talent of um our malt master. So Brian Kinsman is our current malt master and prior to him it was um David Stewart who is the current malt master for, for Boloveni. And um, that's their role to ensure consistency and uh, quality all the time. So when the whiskey is in the Solara vat, from there, it will then go into marrying tons, which are much smaller. They hold around 2000 litres. Um, and it might sit there for a few months just to allow the whiskey to settle, ensure it's all married together. Um, and then we will add water to it before it's then bottled, depending on um, the requirement. Okay, fine. That's so what you basically just said to me is it's magic, Nikki. Don't ask me. It's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you know, that's actually a, it's a really good point though, because at Glenfiddich, we've recently gone through an expansion. Um, and we now have a lot of stills throughout the two um, still houses. And I went on a walk around with the head of distilling not long ago. And this was something that we spoke about then. And he said, you know, given the amount of stills that we have, people kind of think, oh, you know, Glenfiddich is everywhere. They produce so much of it every single year. And they might not link craftsmanship directly to Glenfiddich. But the fact that they are consistently producing well, 100% grade one spirit from that number of stills and that volume of spirit being produced every year, it's really impressive and it's a really hard task. So every step of the way, they're striving for that consistency and we need to ensure that the bottle of Glenfiddich 15, for argument's sake, we we're just talking about the Solera vat that was created however many years ago is, you know, is the same, is the same today as it, as it was then. So. I think it doesn't matter what size your distillery is, there is so much craft and, you know, careful 
consideration that goes into every step of the way to strive for that consistent quality. Definitely. How many stills do you have? It's, is it quite a lot then? We have got 43 stills at Glenfiddich. That is a lot. Yeah. Wow. Now, yeah. Um, so it's really interesting. You can actually, when we are back into the expansion, well, back into production fully, which hopefully will be very soon. Um, I don't want to give any days or dates just in case, but it should be in the imminent, um, imminent future. Uh, we go into the expansion of Stillhouse 3 and the second leg of the expansion is actually the stills from Stillhouse 1. So as part of the expansion, we introduced new mash tons and took the stills out of um, where they were before. And when I first came back to the distillery, so I rejoined William Grant's sons in January and came back on site in April. And I went for a walk through production. I was like, wait a minute, where, where have all those stills gone? They've been replaced by mash tons. Um, and I was told that they're the second leg of Stillhouse 3. So yeah, it's, um, it's really interesting. And also you can see the contrast in color, obviously, because the stills from the original, well, first Stillhouse um, are not as bright and shiny and clean. <laughs> um, but it, it's a good talking point. It's nice, nice to know that they're they're still there. Awesome. You mentioned earlier a little bit of experimentation. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you're up to with at the Glenfiddich distillery? I can tell you a little bit about what we've done in ways of experimentation and, and just I guess I touched on warehouse eight. So when you go in there, there's tiny little tasks. Um, you can't mature anything in casks over 700 litres. That's the, that's the law for maturing whiskey. Um, but we have got lots of little casks, so there's more oak surface area coming into contact with the spirit over the maturation period. Um, and we have the marrying tons for Glenfiddich 18. So the Glenfiddich 18 is married in slightly smaller batches. Um, we've also got very old casks. If my memory serves me correctly, I think 1957 is one of the oldest casks we've got in Warehouse 8 and perhaps actually for Glenfiddich. Um, we've got casks that belong to some of the family members. We've got casks uh, with some of the ambassadors' signatures on them. There's the casks of dreams. Um, so uh, people were members of the public wrote their dreams all over these casks and you know dated it and signed it so it's quite cool to see that some of it has rubbed off just ever so slightly from being moved around the warehouse but yeah there's just a lot of different um points of conversation in there we also have a cask buried underground um so it's going to be there for a hundred years um wow. I, I now can't remember exactly when it went underground um anyway it's been there for a good few years so far um, but that will definitely just to see just to see what it does to the whiskey what happens yeah so when you walk into the warehouse on your right hand side there's just a patch of floor like dirt kind of floor it's a traditional um traditional warehouse and there's the old customers and excise office which sits obviously empty now and um, we don't need we we don't have someone sitting there um, these days. And there's a barcode stapled just to the bottom of the outer wall. Um, and it's the barcode for that cask. Uh, so you awesome. know, they obviously know exactly where it is, can scan it, check on. Check what on happens if it's the best whiskey ever and you have to start digging underground? For I mean, that could be like a whole new revolution. <laughs> 
It could be, and I'm sad to say that I will never know. I think that, well, that cask will certainly outlive me. So um, I don't know what's going to happen. But that was a point I made to, um, I can't remember who now I was speaking to in the warehouse about it. I said that whoever's buried that cask, they're never actually going to know the outcome. Yeah, but I think that's really cool, though. I really yeah, like, I mean, I really like yeah, that longevity, you know, that... Yeah, um, absolutely. It, it would be very interesting to see, or, well, it would be very interesting to see her here. And, hey, you never know, they might take it up sooner to see how it's getting on, so we'll get a little bit of a, a steer in what, what's actually happening underground. Maybe your career adva- will advance so far into the uh, William Grant and Sons um, company <laughs> that on your on your deathbed when you say, "I just want you to dig up yeah, <laughs> so I can taste oh, it." Maybe. Um, go, anything, no, anything for you? Yeah. Oh gosh, that would be. I mean, that would be incredible to just to know how it's going. But the um, also in terms of what we do in, in by way of experimentation with. Um, with the whiskies that we've currently got out there, we've got the Glenfiddich IPA, um, which is uh, beer, obviously. Um, we've got Project 20, which is the 20 different ambassadors selected a cask and Brian Kinsman, the malt master, married these casks together to come up with Project 20. We've got Winter Storm, which is finishing off whiskey um, in ice wine casks from Canada. Mm. Um, and we experiment also with um, peated malt so yeah there's a lot uh, quite a lot going on and it's great because there's, there really is something for everyone you know when people say to me oh I'm just not really that sure about whiskey I don't know and I said hey well I say hey you know that's that was the same as me when I was an 18 18 year old girl starting at Glenfiddich Distillery I didn't really like whiskey I don't even know if I'd properly tried it before um and then the first summer, I thought, right, I'll give it a go. Second summer, tried a little bit more, tried some Bulveni as well. And I was like, oh, actually, much to my father's upset. I was like, Dad, hey, I quite like whiskey now. He's like, you can stay away from my <laughs> stay away from my whiskey <laughs> cupboard. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's I think it it's having a bit more of an understanding about it, being surrounded by it, and also just finding what you actually like. Um, so yeah, something for everyone is. Is what I would say. So your father didn't, um, he wasn't like waiting for you to turn 18 so he could suddenly, you know, enjoy a whiskey <laughs> with his daughter. No, no. no. He uh, actually, the only way, excuse me, the way that I kind of knew a little bit about the whiskey industry was through, so my dad was a farmer. Um, so he grew barley or he grew grain for, he grows rather, um, barley and grain for um for the whiskey industry and uh, my grandma she did a lot of catering she used to work um i think she actually worked for a few different companies kind of um if they needed to outsource catering for events or you know functions and laterally she worked at mccallan um until she retired so i i did spend a good bit of time at mccallan actually before i i ever ventured into the world of whiskey and i just had absolutely no understanding or real appreciation for it other than they eat, eat some really nice food up there and I know they drink something that's really expensive. <laughs> um, so yeah, then I finally kind of got a much better understanding of what was going on. And yeah, it's, it's brilliant. People kind of expect that because I'm from Speyside, well, your family must have been involved in distilleries in some aspect. And I was like, no, they weren't. And I suppose they were in some way, but not directly, which I think is actually quite unusual. Yeah, interesting that you don't see it as 
them not being that them being that involved. I mean, it's not like they were an accountant and a lawyer or, you know, a, yes, a <laughs> doctor and a window cleaner. Yeah. You know? They were growing <laughs> growing grain for the whiskey industry and yeah. doing hospitality for the whiskey. But yeah, yeah, whatever, you know, you tell yourself that you're not okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, you've got a rather special favourite whiskey from Glenferrick. Can you tell us a bit mm. about the story behind it and why you love it? Yeah, so I I always find this question a little bit difficult. Like, what's your what's your favorite whiskey? Because I think there are many different whiskies for different times of the day or different moods or different weather. It it just really depends on so many factors. But one that really stuck with me, and this is actually since my guiding days, is Snow Phoenix. So when I came back in I guess it must have been 2011. So it had been launched at the end of 2010. Um, so when I came back guiding in 2011, it was then on the shelves and, and actually it was in local shops as well. And I was like, oh, what's this? Um, and then learned the story of it. So in January of 2010, there was very heavy snowfall. Um, and that of course then turned into ice and a number of our warehouses were damaged. So we had to take some of the casks and use them. Um, they were sitting in the freezing cold. I think it was lower than minus 10. And the ages of casks ranged from 13 to, I think, maybe up to about 30 years old. And our malt master, Brian Kinsman, decided to create something um, with these whiskies uh, or with these casks that had been kind of left out in, in the cold as a result of the um, damaged warehouses and the, and the roof. I think there was maybe one roof that collapsed, I can't quite remember now. Um, so he had to do something with these casks. So it was very spontaneous. Um, and I suppose making the best of a of a quite a dramatic situation. So maybe comm commemorating a dramatic point in our history. So it was a combination of all the also so sherry and American oak bourbon um, casks that created this now absolutely beautiful dram when it first went on sale I think it was about 50 pounds but because it was limited um it's like hen's teeth you can barely find it now um so I'm very lucky to have a couple of bottles which was given to me by a colleague um, and we actually did a tasting of it during the Spirit of Speyside Whiskey Festival virtual earlier this year and I couldn't believe my eyes or my luck when um, Struan, who's a global brand ambassador, um, gave me a bottle of it. I thought, yes, this is absolutely brilliant. So I had a wee tasting as part of the festival and then I've got a bottle sitting in the cupboard, which um, I, won't spec I won't be specific about which cupboard it's in because I don't want anyone else to have it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's a, it's a beautiful dram. It's creamy vanilla apple pears. So, you know, you've got your classic Glenfiddich notes coming through there um but it's just got such a long finish with sherry notes coming through it's just yeah it's a it's a beautiful beautiful whiskey and and luckily as well for us actually even though you know it was a bit uh, I suppose quite dramatic and not an ideal situation um we lost remarkably little whiskey so uh that's you know that's something good um I think the story about the name came from perhaps when Brian was maybe in the warehouse or someone was in the warehouse and just where the roof had kind of come in um, there was some beautiful light so it was almost like a phoenix rising out uh, right rising out of the ashes or in this case the, the snow and the ice. Lovely that's quite romantic really isn't it? Yeah and, it is. and nice that um, 
uh, I mean, I know a limited edition means limited edition, but um, just that that's never going to be repeated, is it? I mean, that's... Yeah, exactly. Well, gosh, hopefully not. No, no, no. <laughs> um, so finally then, what advice would you give to someone who would like to know more about whiskey? That's a good question. I think the first thing to do is get yourself to some of the distilleries or speak to people in your local bar, the, you know, the bartenders, the, the people there. Um, and I do think, especially in Speyside, if you go to some of the bars or some of the pubs, there will be a standout whiskey for them. And so many people, you know, are so knowledgeable about what is on our doorstep. Um, I mean, it took for me to be 18, 19 to have even a slight understanding or appreciation for that and how lucky we are. Um, but yeah, I would say your first protocol, if you're old enough, go to the bar, have a couple of drams, speak to speak to the people there. Um, if you're not old enough to have a dram, then come accompanied on a on a distillery tour and go to as many distilleries as you, you can as well, because you will learn something new or something different, I think, each one. And that's something that I love about working in the whiskey industry. I'm always learning. Um, and, you know, I'm I've worked in it since I turned 18 but I've I feel like I've got still such a long way to go and you meet new people all the time and it's it's so incredible to be able to draw on their experience as well whether they've been in the industry for a couple of years or 40 years everyone has stories to tell um, and also learning about other other companies other brands the history surrounding scotch whiskey in the first place it's so rich and Actually, working for William Grant and Sons, we're very lucky because it's been family owned since, you know, the very beginning, since Glenfiddich. Um, well, they started building Glenfiddich in 1886. Um, we've got such a full, complete archive for Glenfiddich, Bolveni and, and all of the others as well. So we're really lucky that we can draw on the history and heritage from there. And if I ever have any questions, I usually go to Andy Fairgrave, who primarily looks after our artists and residents, but is also um, based uh, in the archive and he can answer any questions. You know, sometimes we get emails through to the, the bookings um, inbox and it'll be, oh, I've got this bottle. I'll send a picture of it. Can you tell me about it? Or my grandfather created this small still by hand. Do you know if it's still around? Um, and nine times out of 10, well, probably 10 times out of 10, Andy can ask answer those questions so yeah I think it's just you know speak speak to people in the industry or in your local pub go to the distilleries read some books there's there's just so much material out there that you can really delve into um I when I first started working actually um for Chivas I, I was buying some books and just trying to I guess expand my general whiskey knowledge especially in the history side and I've now got quite a good collection kind of piled up um, and they're ones that you can dip in and out of you don't need to just sit and read the whole thing um, and since joining William Grant's I've, I've ended up with another couple so yeah it's fascinating there's 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 so much to learn and, and so many different ways you can learn whether you want more of a hands-on experience or you want to sit down with a dram and a book then yeah you can. I love that as well, that um, people are just actually getting directly in touch with you and asking them about the whiskey that they've got. That's really nice. I mean, presumably they're contacting you about bottles of Glenfiddich, are they? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Glenfiddich, Grants, maybe Bilveni. Um, yeah, so it's uh, it's really good. It's, it, 
it's always it's always nice to see especially when they send pictures because then you're like wow that's amazing I wonder when exactly that's from and you have a rough idea but I'm certainly no historian so it's great to be able to draw on the experience and knowledge of of your team to to help with that and knowing that it's had that impact on them as well exactly and being able to give people answers um, yeah which is nice nice. (laughs) thank you Lauren that was really nice have you Um, anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners are you all good well yeah I mean we'd love to welcome any of you that are listening to this to the distillery and hopefully we'll be able to get you back into production but we can certainly enjoy a dram together that's for sure and hey Nikki hopefully we can enjoy a dram together soon too oh that would be awesome I would (laughs) love that (laughs) thanks Lauren thank you if you've enjoyed hearing from Lauren and would like to visit Glenfiddich their guided exhibition highlights tour and tasting is available to book now find out more at distillerytours.scot and click on the Book Now button on the Glenfiddich listing to reserve your place. Distillerytours.scot has every whisky distillery visitor centre in one place. If you'd like to hear more from us, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram, or sign up for our Distillery and Whisky News monthly email to hear the podcast first at distillerytours.scot forward slash sign up. Next month, we'll be speaking to Callum Lawson, venue manager at the Scotch Malt Whisky Society on Bath Street in Glasgow. We look forward to seeing you then.